I'm Patricia Pierce. Welcome to the Evolutionary Activist Podcast. We are living at an important moment in our history, a time that is calling us into a new way of being, a new consciousness from which a sustainable, just, and peaceful future can arise. In this podcast, we explore ways to help that future take hold within ourselves so that together we can help it come forth in our world. Hello, evolutionaries, and welcome to this week's podcast episode. This week, I would like to share with you a talk that I gave at the Center for Contemporary Mysticism in Philadelphia this past June. And in this talk, I give quite a lot of backstory of my own experiences that have led me to many of the perspectives and insights that I share in this podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Well, it's really, really wonderful to be here, and Joe and I have been talking about me coming for several months, and it all worked out. And this, I'm here because of synchronicities. How many of you have ever experienced mind-boggling synchronicities? Yes. (laughs) That's part of the mystical path, I believe. Um, How many of you here have ever found yourselves growing beyond the belief system that you inherited or grew up in? Yeah, so that's, that's one of the things that we're going to explore today is that experience when our mystical experiences take us beyond the tradition that we have been part of and that we have perhaps identified very deeply with. And it's sort of a rocky road, um, oftentimes that process can be filled with a lot of emotions, um, grief, Loneliness, sometimes a feeling of betrayal when we feel that the tradition has let us down or somehow held us back. So it's a very interesting process, and I want to later on in my talk explore the question with you, are we betraying the tradition when we move beyond it? So it's just a a question that I want to have us hold together. Well, Joe told me that, as he just said, that they love for speakers to share something of their stories. So I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do a little bit of reading from my, my book, Beyond Jesus, My Spiritual Odyssey. And, I mean, if you really wanted to know my story, it's, it's here. <laughs> so I'm not going to tell you the whole thing. There's too much to tell. But... I will just give you some overviews, and I'll give you a few really um, pivotal moments in my own spiritual journey that give you a sense of how things have evolved for me and how they have led me to see the world and reality and my, my tradition of Christianity and Jesus very differently. So I am from Denver, Colorado, and grew up uh, in, a, in a very conventional Christian family. We were Presbyterians uh, because my father's family came from Scotland. And the Presbyterian Church, of course, is the Church of Scotland, so we were very um, loyal to that tradition. We went to church every Sunday. I went to Sunday school, had mostly good experiences. Uh, went to vacation Bible school as a young person and was 
pretty much uh, inculcated in a very conventional viewpoint and Christian belief system. It was very clear and self-evident that, you know, there's, there's a God, uh, that God is, like, somewhere up there, not really defined exactly. Um, Jesus was God's one and only son. Jesus died for our sins. Humans are born with the stain of the original sin and need to be redeemed. And so that was the, the belief system that I, that I grew up in and wasn't really exposed to anything different for quite a while. After college, well, as, as an undergraduate, I, I studied a year in Germany, what was in West Germany, and I was drawn to go to Germany because for as long as I could remember, I had been haunted by the Holocaust. I could not fathom how that could have happened. And so I went to Germany looking for some answers. And I'm sorry to say that I, I didn't really get the answers I was looking for because the people seemed pretty normal. And I was like, wow, if that could happen here among these normal people, it could happen anywhere. And during that year when I was studying abroad, it, it really opened up my horizons to, um, to the political realities of our world. And I had my eyes opened to some of the things that my own country had been doing that I had never been taught. Some of the escapades, the covert escapades of our own government. And I felt deeply, deeply betrayed. And I felt like I had been hoodwinked. I'd been duped. And so when I came back to the States as a senior in college, I decided to change my major. Well, add on a major. I was a music major at the time. And I decided to complete my German major and my music major, but also to study international affairs. Because I wanted to understand more. I, I was appalled at the level of my ignorance about the political realities of our world and my own government. And so I, I got that degree, and then I went into the Peace Corps in Ecuador, in South America. And I worked and lived for two years in the high Andes. And the second year that I was there, I was working among the Quechua Indians at this, in this small village, altitude 11,000 feet. <laughs> it helped coming from Colorado, you know, it's a little <laughs> bit adjusted, but... Um, it was quite an extraordinary experience to witness the, the level of economic disparity between the indigenous Quechua and the, the, the descendants of the conquistadores. And every time that I would go from Quito, the capital city, back out to my village, Colta, I went through, it was like whiplash, culture shock every time. And as I looked around at, at the horrible poverty and the horrible discrimination, now mind you, I had come, I had arrived with this degree that had focused on economics and political science and international law and all of this stuff that you study 
as uh, an, someone majoring in international affairs. So I came on the scene with this idea that politics can solve problems. And I got to Ecuador, and I looked around, and I, I just had the sense that there is a spiritual sickness at the heart of this. This goes way beyond politics. And I had some, a couple of pretty extraordinary moments um, during my time there where my own awareness was opened up quite a lot. And I lived uh, in a part of the country where there had been missionaries. There had been missionary activity there for some time, and I was very ambivalent about it because I saw it as sort of a form of of uh, cultural imperialism, religious imperialism. So I was very ambivalent about that. And yet I also saw that the Quechuas were more able to understand the heart of the gospel than people in North America because they were hearing it in a very different way. That, whoa, we're beloved children of God. Nobody ever told us that before. So I had this very interesting um, mixture of experiences there. But it was while I was in the Peace Corps in Ecuador that the seed was planted in me that I would end up doing some sort of ministry. And so when I came back to the States, I you know, put that on hold, and I taught school for a while, ESL and Spanish, But every time I thought about my future, I saw myself as doing some sort of ministry. And finally I thought, well, if that's what I'm seeing, I might as well get on with it. So I applied to seminary, and I left for California to study at the San Francisco Theological Seminary in the Bay Area. Well, while I was there... Speaking of dreams, Joe, um, I started having these momentous dreams, some very disturbing dreams, and so powerful that I knew I needed to understand them. And so I started studying uh, dream interpretation and trying to understand these dreams because I knew that, that spirit, that some presence was breaking into my life. And I will just share a little snippet of one of the dreams because it relates to what we're talking about here. In this one dream, I'm studying in the library of the seminary. And in the dream, the library is a garden-level room so that the windows are up towards the top, towards the ceiling. And I'm in there studying, and all of a sudden, there is this tremendous earthquake and the building is shaking and rocking, and, and then there are vines that were growing outside the windows that start to grow at this explosive rate, and they shatter the windows, and they start filling the library, and the building is collapsing, and I'm thinking, I have got to get out of here or I will die. And I run for the stairs, and I run outside, and I end up in this courtyard that's beautiful and sunny and peaceful. And I come upon a baby with a live butterfly in its mouth. And that dream was telling me that that some 
numinous spirit was breaking in and crashing through the windows of this theological structure where I was studying other people's vicarious experiences, other people's understandings of, you know, of God, of reality, and it was time I had to leave that library or I would die. And it was a terrifying dream and a dream full of hope because I knew that you know, something was working on my behalf. And then I had another dream the following night that was extremely disturbing that revealed to me the extent to which I had internalized the sexism and the misogyny of my tradition. And it was heart-wrenching. Absolutely heart-wrenching. And in the wake of that dream, I, I literally had this ache in my heart that I had never experienced. It was, almost, it was almost as much as I could do just to go to class. Because I felt so betrayed that my religious tradition had taught me something about what it means to be a woman. And God, as the supreme misogynist, if you will, It was a very painful experience, and I wondered if I could stay in the church, if I could be ordained and serve in the church. I was fortunate to have a very good friend who was, uh, she was going through some similar struggles at the time. And I tell you, if you're ever going through a dark night, it helps so much to have a friend who's doing doing that with you. It's it's like a, a lifeline. So Trisha was my lifeline. And she and I were struggling with these questions and crying together and trying to come to terms with it all. And I had the good fortune of doing an internship in a very progressive church in Tucson, Arizona that gave me the it gave me hope that I could serve in the church if it's the right congregation. And so I I completed seminary and I was ordained. And I served my, I met my husband in seminary. We co-pastored in Missouri for about five years. And then I received a call. Kip, my, my husband wasn't, pastoring wasn't for him. And so he followed me to Philadelphia and I served a church near the University of Pennsylvania, Tabernacle United Church, which is a union church, Presbyterian and UCC wonderful progressive congregation and it was like the honeymoon never ended however in 2001 trisha who had aplastic anemia underwent a bone marrow transplant because the disease is fatal the only the only cure is to undergo a bone marrow transplant and so she did And as a result, she died. And it was at her death that my own spiritual path took a radical turn. It was a tremendous loss to lose this very dear friend who had been such a spiritual companion. And in the immediate aftermath of her death, 
I knew that I did not want to live my life on the surface. I sensed that there was some dimension of my existence that I had never known. And I wanted to know what that was. And so I, I resolved. It's like, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but it's like, like my own will just went chink, 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 just aligned with this resolve. And when we do that, when our will aligns like that with an intention, I believe we set things in motion. So a year after Trisha died, I went on spiritual retreat in New, in New Mexico. And while I was there, I renewed my resolve to open up to whatever this hidden dimension was that I had not yet experienced. And there are pieces of my story that I'm leaving out, like I took a trip to El Salvador that was also pivotal in all of this. But shortly after that retreat, I guess about four, four or five months, I started to experience, again, all of these synchronicities, like one after the other after the other, that my worldview could not accommodate. My rational worldview, just like things like this don't happen. And so I knew that, that something was, was afoot, something was happening, and I knew that I needed to surrender to it. I didn't know what else to do. I just knew I needed to surrender to it. So I'm going to read, and I, I had taken to going to the woods, the Wissahickon Woods, once a week uh, in the aftermath of Trisha's death. It was my pilgrimage place. So I knew I needed to surrender, and I knew the place that I needed to go was to the woods. And I think it's so beautiful that we are gathering here so close to that place. And this was in July. And I'm hiking into the woods that Friday afternoon. And as I'm hiking, there's a light rain that starts to fall. And I go to the rock where I would sometimes go to meditate. And I sat down, and the rain started to fall harder. And I didn't know what to do. I, I did not know what to do, except the only thing that could occur to me was to start giving thanks for the people in my life. Because I had some sense that whatever was going on in my life was because of the web of relationships that I was in. And so I just started to say thank you, and I started to name the names. And as soon as I did that, I had this sudden realization. It's like my eyes were opened to this realization that I am not a separate self. I am not a separate entity, as I've always experienced myself to be. And I saw that I was more like, um, there were these patterns, like interacting waves, like on, a, on the surface of a, of a lake, and they're all interacting and all affecting each other. And there is no separate self there. And as soon as I had that, I was a dynamic pattern, constantly changing, expressing the interplay of an infinite number of interacting influences, 
like ripples constantly dancing and colliding on the surface of water. In a flash, I comprehended not only the interconnectedness of reality, but of my own interconnectedness with reality. I, as a separate entity, did not exist. Isolation and separateness had only been erroneous ideas in my mind. With that realization, waves of energy began to cascade through my body, pulsating through me. I sobbed and I sobbed and I sobbed. I could feel that something was being set free at the deepest levels of my being. I was being birthed into a new reality. As the waves of energy began to subside, the rain began to let up. When I opened my eyes, I saw a world that I had never seen before. Everything, the pool of tears at my feet, the rock, the trees, the sparkling mica-laden soil, Everything was vibrant and alive, luminous, infused with a presence. No, not merely a presence, a sentience. Nothing was inanimate. Everything was expressing a life, a totality, a complete oneness, love itself. Beholding the beauty of all that was around me, an immense hope for the earth filled my being. I knew that a profound shift was underway, not just in me, but across the entire planet. I had no doubt that if enough people were to give themselves over to this inbreaking of love, the earth itself could be healed. In the aftermath of that experience, for several days, I was in a very heightened state of consciousness, and the energy continued to flow through my body, and at times my hands felt like they were on fire, my feet felt like they were on fire. And I felt as though information was being downloaded, information about the nature of reality, information about the world and the story that we're living out. We're living out a story on this planet. It's a a story based on a fallacy of separateness. And this story gets played out not only in our own minds and relationships, but it gets played out on the world stage in in the form of empire, in the form of exploitive economic systems. It's like it's all a big story that we're playing out. And as the energy and the, and the information continued to accelerate, I had this, like, this breakthrough where everything just sort of converged like a flash of lightning with this realization that we are in a dream. That we are living out an unconscious story. It is a dream. And as people awaken to that, we can become lucid dreamers we can begin to interact very differently, not following the script that's handed to us, but as active and proactive agents, bringing forth a new story, transforming the story on this planet.
Well, all of this put me in a challenging position. Now, there's, there's a lot of... It was not a cakewalk. My own ego got temporarily sidelined. I had this amazing awakening experience. Ego returned, as ego does. Um, and then there was this long process of working through all of that. Oh, the ego... The ego loves to grab hold of situations like that. I mean, doesn't that make me special? Hmm? That's what the ego loves, to be special, to be set apart. Huh? That's the nature of ego. And the more I really was immersed in this process, the more I could see that that very ego consciousness, and by that I mean that consciousness of separateness, That was the consciousness that shaped Christian belief. And I came to see how Jesus at his baptism had that awakening experience where the veil between heaven and earth is torn apart. There is no separateness. There is no judgment. There is no condemnation. There's nothing but love. And he had to go out into the wilderness and face his own egoic temptations. The temptations to be special. The temptations to use power on his own behalf. And yet in the end, that's exactly what the tradition did. Jesus is special. Jesus is set apart. So the very idea of that that egoic fallacy of separateness became woven into the tradition, into the belief system. And so I found myself in this very challenging spot. Here I am, a clergy person, representing a belief system that no longer holds true for me. And for many years, I tried to find a way to reconcile it, to hold it all together. I tried really hard. (laughs) I tried really hard. It was my vocation. It was my spiritual community. I loved my congregation. I loved my work. But in the end, I could see that, that this had been my journey. This had not been my congregation's journey. And more than that, there is this institutional architecture that I experience to be quite rigid. It's as though the foundation and the cornerstone were laid with a particular orientation. And how do you you work with that? Now, along the way, so, so there was not only the, you know, the theological struggle and the Christological struggle and seeing how, how the, the tradition had distorted Jesus' message, which I, I believe you know, he was embodying and teaching this non-dual consciousness. Some call it Christ consciousness, unitive consciousness, whatever it was, whatever term you want to use, that's what he was embodying and calling people into. 
So I was wrestling with the theological thing, but then I was also seeing how this consciousness of separateness is playing out in our world and how it has wrought so much devastation. That's why we're on the brink of this this environmental crisis. That's why we have these vast disparities of wealth. And I came to understand that if we want to heal the world, we'll have to do this work in our own minds, in our own consciousnesses. We'll have to move beyond that separateness within ourselves if we want the world to be transformed. So I began questioning the foundations of the tradition that I, that, I was, that I was raised in and that I served and that I represented as a pastor. And in the end, I, I realized through dreams and synchronicities again that, that it was time for me to go. And so I resigned that position in 2010 and embarked on doing some writing, teaching, and I want to, there were other things that I did. I, I was involved in nonviolent civil disobedience. I served a, a week in uh, federal prison down on 7th and Arch in the Federal Detention Center for engaging in nonviolent civil disobedience when the U.S. launched the invasion of Iraq. And going into that prison was also very much like a dream experience. Because if you want to talk about the consciousness of separateness, what exemplifies that more than prison? And so I and the other people who had participated in that action, who went, who chose actually to go to prison rather than pay the fine, we went with the intention to bring a different energy into that space, a different consciousness into that space. Because I think actually that's what we're all now here to do, is to bring a different energy and a different consciousness into these times. So I want to um, talk then about mysticism. You know, are we betraying the tradition when we grow beyond it? And I think a lot of times we can feel that we are because these often are belief systems that we've received from family, from society, from culture. They've shaped us. And in a way, it's sort of like, am I turning my back on my, my parent? But I've really come to understand that when religions get institutionalized, what they are institutionalizing largely is the predominant consciousness that is present at the time that it becomes codified. At the time that the doctrines are created, those are reflecting the dominant consciousness of that era. It's the best they could do. I, you know, you know if, you, if you're living in that egoic consciousness, you can't even comprehend what a unit of consciousness is. It's just beyond you. And so 
I think that actually, when we grow beyond the institution or beyond the tradition, we're not betraying it at all. We're being faithful and loyal to the figure, the founding figure, who had explored and exposed a consciousness that was ahead of its time. And there's this line in, in, uh, in the New Testament where Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And when we allow these mystical experiences, this inbreaking of this other consciousness, this inbreaking of divine energy, when we allow that to open us up, we are being so faithful to the intention. We are fulfilling the intention. I want to just um, finish up this part of my talk. We'll have questions and answers in a little bit later, but I want to just read a little bit from, from the introduction to my book. So, oh, so I'll say a word about this. So this is a book that I tried really hard not to write. <laughs> <laughs> I tried so hard not to write this book. Um, I felt like my story was one that wanted to be told, but I didn't want to tell my story. I just wasn't comfortable with it. I was a closeted mystic. And so I wrote a novel, and I put my story in the backstory of, the char- of one of the characters of the novel. So I could get the story out there, but I wouldn't have to claim it as my own. And then this writing teacher who knew the project that I was working on, and she knew something of my own experiences and background, she said, Patricia, This story has power because it happened to you. You need to tell it as your story. And I was thinking, oh, shit. (laughs) But I think she was right. So when I left the church, I left the church in 2010, and as it so happens, my mother was also in the process of dying. She was in hospice. And so I was faced with two monumental losses in my life at the same time. The death of my biological mother and the death of Mother Church. The death of my vocation, the death of my career. It was, it was not a happy time. A year, almost a year after she died, I was driving. By that time, I had, I had left uh, my position at Tabernacle. I was driving across country from Philadelphia to Denver to participate in my mother's ash scattering. And I was driving because there were some things that I wanted to bring back with me. And while I was on the road, I was listening to some podcasts of Krista Tippett's. And there was one interview she was doing uh, with a man who had written it, who had done a documentary film on Bonhoeffer. And I'm driving through Ohio on the interstate, you know, I mean, it's like an interstate, you know what, well, you know what that's like. And all of a sudden, I get this download, just like this flash, just boom, that I would write a book called Beyond Jesus that would talk about how ego consciousness had shaped Christian belief. It was crystal clear. I totally got the intention. It's like, okay. 
And I felt like the best way to write the book was to share my story and to share some of the experiences that had led me to that understanding, the understanding that the book wants to bring forth. So I'm going to um, close with a passage from the introduction of the book. If we consider Jesus to be a doorway, as many people do, then we must ask, what is he a doorway to? One does not stop at a doorway nor fixate upon it. One moves through it to the other side. That is its purpose. When we focus our spiritual journey on Jesus himself, when we stop at the doorway, we fail to see what he was showing us about our own nature. We abdicate the power he was demonstrating it was possible to attain when we shed the limited and limiting ego. We deprive ourselves of the beautiful and ecstatic experience of our own oneness with ultimate reality. Jesus was able to be a conduit for divine purposes because he himself had moved beyond Jesus. He had moved beyond the narrow confines of a particular identity and into the full realization that he, that we, were and always had been one with a source of being. I believe it is both possible and essential that we do the same, because only in the light of awakened consciousness can the collective nightmare of the ego and its empires ever dissolve. This book is written as a memoir. In the pages to follow, I share a bit about my upbringing in mainstream Protestantism, the events that led me to seminary and then the ministry, and the spiritual awakenings that caused me to see Jesus in a new light, epiphanies that ultimately made it impossible for me to stay in the institutional church. It also tells the story of how my spirituality has been deeply influenced by what I have witnessed in the political realm. From the impoverished regions of the Andes, where I served as a Peace Corps volunteer, to the federal prison, where I served a sentence for nonviolent civil disobedience when the United States invaded Iraq, I have seen how our political systems are an outward manifestation of the beliefs we hold about who we are and about the nature of reality. As our consciousness matures, those systems will also undergo a profound change. While this book is written as a memoir, it is also a manifesto pointing to what we might become. Each of our lives is a hologram holding the patterns of the evolution of our collective existence So while the details of any life story are particular, the narrative arc is one that we share. We are participating in a great unfolding on this planet. The emergence of a new consciousness that sees through the fallacy of separateness. As the beliefs of a previous age dissolve, and the structures and institutions spawned by those beliefs crumble, a new world will become possible. One in which we take our place as co-creators in a cosmos awakening to itself.
This book is an offering to the emergence of that new world, to the great flowering of our spiritual potential that Jesus demonstrated and the promise it holds for our collective future.